In this episode of the Hyperfast Agent Podcast, we are joined by Jesse Rodriguez from HGTV's Vintage Flip. Listen in as Jesse speaks at the Hyperfast Sales Summit. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. I am so, so, so happy to be here, you know, and thanks for watching me on the Lunch and Learn a little while ago where I kind of came down on everybody about saving money and, and through their business. I want to slow it down a little bit. You know, I want to tell you guys kind of my background. You think about COVID and where we are right now. Some of us are doing really, really well. But one thing I learned a long time ago is that seminars like this, I don't know. Everybody's at a different spot. Everybody's got a smile on their face, but some people may not be having the best month or the best year right? They could be going through family problems. You know, some of us might've had family members that got sick. And when I do an event like this, I always want to think like, I like to slow it down and bring it back and be able to share my story of how I got started because it seeing me now and watching like the, the preview of the show, that's kind of like the happy ever after, right? People see that and go, I want to be that. It's like, well, you got to know the struggle before you know, the, you know, the pleasure, right? And the happiness side of it. So I'm going to take it way back, and I'm really going to give you guys everything because I hope that it gives you something to motivate you and launch your career and know that no matter where you are in your life today or you were a few years ago, like you can really be anything and do anything. So I started my real estate. Actually, I'm going to start with my wife, Tina. She's not here. She wasn't able to make it because we have three little kids. We have a nine-year-old, a turning seven-year-old, and a turning four-year-old, um, all boys, Carter, Mason, and Max. And with COVID, she's now a teacher. Right? She's doing the homeschooling at home, and, and, uh, and that's been a very interesting year for us um, and, and tough. I mean, very, very, very tough. So my heart goes out to everyone out there that's going through this. Like People that are watching the Zoom classes right now and, and watching this, you're probably setting up your kid while trying to do it, and it's, it's amazing. Kudos to you. But I actually met Tina when I was 18 years old. So I went to college. And I told you guys about that whole thing. I literally got into college like two weeks before it started. Um, and I was rushing a fraternity. Yes, party boy. And then, and she was rushing a sorority. You know, we were typical 18-year-olds. Like, we wanted to make friends. We wanted to socialize. We wanted just to kind of get the, the most out of college possible. And the fraternity I was joining had an event where we had to walk the sorority girls to their car because they were coming from a late-night event, and they didn't want the girls to walk to their cars at night by themselves in case, you know, someone accosted them or something like that. And, you know, I was very athletic in high school, and I was, like, on a bunch of the fraternities, like, you know, baseball team and this kind of stuff. And I was like the cool guy, right? So I was like, I'm walking these girls in their car, man. Yeah, right. You know, so I'm, so I'm sitting back at this event, literally like this with like all the, the, you know, the seniors and the juniors, the guys that I looked up to. And I, and, and, and I was one of the cool guys. So they didn't, weren't making me do it. And I'm just like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And I look and I see Tina walking down the stairs and I'm like, hey guys, good talking to you. I'll be right back. I'm going to walk her to her car. <laughs> and um, I jetted over to her, introduced myself. And, uh, and that was the day I realized that I'm a salesperson because I was trying to sell myself to her at that moment of like, will you please go on a date with me? <laughs> but I walked her to her car. Um, we exchanged phone numbers that day. And I did like the worst thing in the world. The worst thing. Can you, anybody guess what I did? Never called her. Had the number. Got, got really, you know, typical 18-year-old dumb, dumb freshman, right? You have no brain when you're 18 years old and a freshman in college. And, um, and the fraternity had us running, you know, left and right, doing goofy things. And I didn't call her. And about two, three weeks later, we're having an event at our fraternity house. And she shows up. And I'm like, oh, the girl that I met. Really cool. <laughs> and I was super excited. So I ran over and said, hey, how you been? And she was pissed. I mean, I mean, to say a piss is an understatement. I mean, she was not having it. She was not talking to me, did not want to get to know me at that point. And that's when I just started laying on the charm. And I was like, all right, all right, I have to, I have to earn my chance back. And that's so I'm telling you, I'm going way back on this because I want you guys to really get how long we've been together. So we started dating a few weeks later and we've been together now. So we've been together 20 years already. I'm 38, we've met at 18. Um, that next year in college, um, there was an ad for someone saying they're looking for someone to cold call at a mortgage company. I was like, oh, I don't know anything about mortgages, but sure, I would love to 
look into that and get on the phones. I'm not really scared to talk to people. So I got a job at 19 years old working for a mortgage company, and I was an assistant to a couple senior mortgage loan officers. And I basically just worked the phones in the evenings. I'd go to school during the day, and I would call, and I would set appointments and set appointments and set appointments. And I really enjoyed it because it was one of those things where I was like, I knew nothing. Like, I'm always someone that I like learning new things. I knew nothing. I didn't know what a mortgage was, never really dreamed about being in real estate. I just knew, okay, like, hey, new job. You're going to pay me a couple bucks. All right, why not? Well, I loved talking to people. I'd get on the phone. They start telling me their story, why their interest rate was high. Then I, before you know it, I'm telling them my story. And then I would pass on the lead and the mortgage guys would make a ton of money and they'd give me a couple hundred bucks as a bonus. Well, one of the things that I learned is that you get told no a lot. So that's one of the things very early on I realized, like I had a lot of don't call me, leave me alone, take me off your list. I hate you. I don't know why they hated me. I didn't say anything mean, but they did. <laughs> you know, And it was really, really kind of a demeaning type of experience. But I learned that you have to get through a lot of no's to get the yes, right? And I think for a lot of you in this industry, some people said that they're new, some don't have a license yet. Know that you're gonna get a lot, a lot of no's before you get the yes, right? So just keep that in mind and you cannot let that beat you down. Well, I started in that mortgage company for about a year and a half. I was just in the telemarketing side of it. Decided to get my license and then I became a loan officer. As I started doing loans, I was still only 20 years old, 21 years old, something like that. I started making a lot of money while I was in college, while I was dating Tina. A couple years into that, I decided that I wanted to open up my own mortgage company. I went to my dad and I asked for a loan. My dad gave me $20,000, $25,000, and I separated from the group I was with, and I opened up my first business at 22. I learned a lot about you know, taking chances, risking everything. Um, and it went really well for a few years. This was right around 2005, 2006. <laughs> right? Yeah, so everybody knows what's coming. And as I was building this mortgage company and I thought I was like invincible, like I was like, damn, I am so good. This is amazing. Like, you know, I'd hire someone, I'd train them, they'd make money, right? Then I opened a second office and I was just, it was unbelievable. So a few years into that, um, I asked Tina to marry me. And we set a date for our wedding. It was May 19th, 2007. 2007. That, that's, that's the year, right? So we're, we, we, I'm running the company. We get married May 19th, 2007. We go on our honeymoon. We buy our first house July something, 2007. And if everybody remembers the great market crash, everyone has a different date is what I've learned. It hit everyone at a different time. For me, it hit in 2007. A lot of people tell me 2008. But 2007 is really when I felt the, the pinch of it. So we bought a house. We're starting to remodel it. And it was a 1920s Spanish style. So that kind of becomes the start of our love for historic houses, which eventually leads to the show. And we start remodeling this house. And all of a sudden, all of our loans in the pipeline start slowing down. And I was so oblivious, oblivious to what was happening in the world. Like I didn't even comprehend the idea that a market could crash. And I don't know for like where everyone is in their... Like, that is a, a real thing that can happen. Nobody was talking about that in 2005, 2006, 2007. That was in my circle saying, hey, guys, this is going to go away. Be ready. Be smart, you know? So the market really started to slow down. By about August or September of that year, 2007, you know, Countrywide goes under. Uh, Washington Mutual goes under. And I'm panicking because I have 30, 40 loans in the pipeline. I've got friends and family that I'm doing refinances or they're in escrow buying houses, and they need that loan from me right? So I start, well, okay, I'm going to move the loans over here. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And while I'm doing this, we're making no income. So I started taking money from our savings to keep the office afloat, to keep my employees employed, right? My loan officers to help them out. I was giving loans out to friends, you know, because I'm like, hey, this is just a couple bad months. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Well, that led from month to month to month. And then I get a call from Tina one day and she says, hey, I noticed that we're late on our mortgage. What's wrong? I never told her that I was taking money from the savings. She wasn't paying attention to that. She let me handle the finances. She had no clue what was happening because I didn't tell her. I didn't want to stress her out, right? I'm superhuman. I'm going to get us through this. There's no reason for us to both be stressed out. And that's when everything really collapsed because then she started asking a lot of questions about what's going on. Where, what's, where's the money at? 
And I had to explain like, well, I thought we were going to be okay. I thought the market was going to bounce back. And it really, really, really went down from there. Within a couple of weeks, my car was repossessed. Then my other car was repossessed. And then she luckily, like one of the best things about her, she's so level-headed. While I'm, you know, the dreamer and trying to figure out how to make more money for our family, when she realized this is the mess we're in, we need to cut ties now, right? Not, not with me, luckily. Uh, but she, <laughs> oh, but, and by the way, guys, if you look at the timeline, we're six months married. If she wasn't like loser patrol over here, right, with her husband, like, damn, did she choose the wrong guy at that moment? No, actually, it was the exact opposite. She stepped up for us and was like, hey, look, we got to sell the house. Let's get out of this house. Our house went down $150,000 in six months. It went down so fast. So we were underwater already, right? And I'm like panicking. At this point, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I'm like, well, I know, I think we're gonna have to short sell it or walk away from it. She's like, what's a short sell? You know, and she's not in this industry. Tina's a marriage and family therapist by trade. That's what she went to college and got her master's for. So I was like, hey, it's where the bank takes less than what we owe. You know, she's like, I'll call. And by February, by February of 2008, we sold the house and was, uh, did a successful short sell. The bank walked from $150,000 so we can get out from within it. We ended up moving to her mom and dad's house. And it was like, I was at the low of lows, right? Car got repossessed, having to move in with her mom and dad, just got married. I'm supposed to be the one to provide for our family. You know, she's supposed to have kids with me someday. Like the world was ending, you know? And I, I don't know how many of you can relate, how many of you were in that industry when it happened. It, I, what I realized, it didn't matter if you were in this industry, it affected all industries. It affected the world. And if it didn't affect you directly, it might've affected your family, right? And having like compassion and understanding of what was happening, like the world was going through that and it was tough, very, very tough. Well, after a few weeks of me sulking and not figuring out, you know, trying to, to get like my feet underneath me, my wife's mom and dad pulled me aside one day. I mean, I was down. Like I was like, I felt like, a, if you didn't tell me I was a loser, I knew I was a loser. I knew I sucked. And uh, my wife's mom and dad uh, pulled me aside and were like, what happened to that young, energetic kid that we fell in love with? Like, you've lost yourself. And I was like, like I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, I, like, I literally, I'm struggling now with it because it was the same way then. And they were like, it was some key words that they said that really turned it around for me. Is they're like, Jesse, this isn't your fault. The world's going through it, right? This isn't that you've just made bad decisions. You had some, right? You didn't save enough money. You didn't, you know, make some proper decisions in there. Said, but the world just stopped on us. Like everyone is struggling. They're like, what you do next is going to define you, not what happened to you. And that was literally what I needed. The next day I woke up and I was like, okay, well, what do I have to do? If I have to shovel dog poop to survive for my family, it's what I'm going to do. And I was pumped. So I decided, I said, okay, I need to figure out what my next thing is, right? And the, the theme here, it's pivot. Right, and we're. This is a my first pivot in 2008, when the market is just. I mean, it is horrible. No one's making money in any industry in 2008, and I decide, okay, what am I going to do? I said, all right, maybe I'll become a real estate agent. <laughs> I'm like mortgages are horrible. I'm going to be a realtor. That's a better idea. And I started looking around, and I said, shoot, they're not making money either. Okay, what am I going to do? I had one friend, one friend that was on you know, Facebook or whatever it was back then, MySpace, I don't know. And he was like, hey, life's great. This is unbelievable. So I texted him and I said, hey, Ryan, why the hell are you so happy? You're a real estate agent. Let's go drink together and hate our lives together. Come on, bud, right? And he's like, dude, I sell REOs. And I was like, you sell Oreos? Like, holy <laughs> shit, I didn't know they paid that well. And he's like, I sell REOs. Real estate owned. And if you don't know what that is, write it down. Real estate owned, it's foreclosures. And I was like, what, what do you mean you sell foreclosures? He's like, my clients are the banks and they give me property to sell when they foreclose on someone. I said, dude, you're taking advantage of a lot of sad people right now that you're selling their houses. And he's like, well, it's the only business out there. And I said, hmm, okay. I got off the phone with him. I ran downstairs to Tina. I said, I'm gonna become an REO agent. And she said the same thing, Oreos, what do you mean? And literally I explained to her, banks foreclose on houses. They have to give them to a realtor. The realtor sells them, that's how they get paid. Like I had no idea, absolute foreign. I did not know that this existed. Some of you may not know that that exists and that was happened. We've had a lot of good years. We haven't had Oreos these last few years really. So I jump online 
and I'm like, how to become an REO agent? I'll Google. Right? A lot of times people ask me questions you know, via the DM on Instagram. A lot of it's just Google. It will tell you everything. First thing that comes up was a list. It said, pay $50 and we'll give you the name of every bank so that you can sign up with them. And I'm not very smart. I said, 50 bucks, let's do it. Here, credit card, let's make this happen. And I got a 10-page list and it had Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and GMAC Bank, right? All the big banks, Fannie Mae, Freddie, First American. Then it had this whole list of companies which are called outsourcers. They're like secondary companies that if the bank doesn't want to do their own foreclosure, they give it to someone else. And they say, you go handle it. So you have to sign up with all these people. So I said, okay, I'm going to spend every day signing up. And it was a process. Like every bank that you'd sign up with would take me two hours because they wanted your resume and information. It was like questionnaires. Then they wanted to know your service area, right? So do you service right here in Virginia? No, no, I'm Virginia. I'm DC. I'm Maryland, right? Like I'm going to put every zip code within an hour and a half that I can drive because I want to make my pool this big of where you might give me a listing because I have nothing. I have nothing to lose at this point, right? And I think if you get that, if you have nothing to lose, you'll do whatever it takes. So I literally stayed up day and night. There was these other third-party websites, um, a website called reonetwork.com. They were a website that said, pay us $1,000 and we'll get you on other lists so that you can get listings. And I had a meeting with the family, right, with Tina. And I was like, look, we're going to have to invest some money for me to become an REO agent. And we were broke. We had nothing. I mean, I had, I never thought in my life I would not have a dollar come through like on a closing or some sort of income. I had nothing. Luckily, she was a marriage and family therapist, so we were making about 3,500 bucks a month from her. And I was asking her, like, can we put stuff on a credit card to take a chance? And she was like, do whatever you have to do. Like, if you think, the fact that you're fired up and motivated, I know we'll be okay. And I signed up for every bank under the sun. I'm telling you, it's it's a funny story, because that's actually how I met Eric Delgado, was when he was doing foreclosures, I was one of his agents which is pretty funny. So how life takes us full circle. And I'm now here speaking because of the chance he took on me, you know, 12 years ago. I mean, shit, I could cry about that actually. Um, but so, so a couple weeks later after I'm signing up and I'm signing up with all these banks, um, I started thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I'm not getting anything. Right. And I think we've all been there, right? You get pumped up. You're going to leave from this conference. You're going to be so motivated. You're going to jump online and you're going to try to do Airbnb tomorrow. Like I, I told you to do, and then it's going to get hard. And then we're going to go, that doesn't work. And you're going to move on. So I got to tell you guys, don't quit. Do not stop. Because I didn't get my first REO like the first day I signed up. I did it for weeks and weeks. What I did is I did research. What I, one thing I realized is I knew nothing about foreclosures. Do you know the other thing I realized? I knew nothing about selling houses. I never sold a house in my life at that point. I was a mortgage person for seven years. And I went into a specific niche. And even more specific, I didn't even know how to do a, a purchase contract. I didn't know, like I'm telling you, I knew nothing about it. I knew how to read a purchase contract from being a mortgage person, but I didn't know how to actually log in and write an offer and do all those kinds of things. So I was like, I was loving the feeling of like, I'm learning something new and I'm gonna try to figure this out. About a month and a half into that process of doing research and calling, and I would call the banks and I would leave messages, you know, and say, hi, I'm Jesse Rodriguez from Southern California and I'm an REO agent. Do you need anybody? And, you know, they just hang up on you or the receptionist would listen and go, you're in the wrong department. <laughs> you know, Because I, I knew nothing. One of my friends tells me, hey, you got to go to the conferences. There's these big conferences that happen across the country. Um, Rio Mac and you know the NRBA and, and Five Star were these things, right? So then I would go and I would Google, what's real Mac? And then come to find out it was happening in Palm Springs, California about a month later. And that's only two hours from where I live. And I was like, I'm gonna go to Palm Springs. I'm gonna drive down there and I'm gonna tell you know, these people that I wanna sell their houses for them. Like you talk about being dumb and green, that was me. Like I just assumed I'm gonna walk up to Eric Delgado and say, hi, you should sell all your houses through me. Here's my business card when there's a thousand agents doing that. But the other thing I thought is I said, well, I'm going to learn because they have classes like what you guys are going through right now that's going to explain to me how to evict someone or how to do cash for keys and just kind of learn the topics. So I decided to sign up for the RealMac conference. When I was at the RealMac conference, I met a few other agents. And this was the key to the success that I now realize. Events like this, the reason they are so valuable is because of who you're in the room with. More than Dan, more than Carrie, more than myself. We're gonna give you a tidbit to maybe spark something and motivate you. It's you guys right here. 
The friends that I made in 2008 at that first RealMat conference are still my friends today. We ended up becoming a group of four or five agents and we traveled the country together visiting clients, bringing lunches, catered lunches to offices like this, meeting every single person in there, hoping that they would give us the business, right? Masterminds and groups like this, you're gonna go from 20 deals to 100 deals, right? And you're in this class together and that'll elevate you and you're gonna elevate someone else. So one thing that I want you guys to do is make sure you're sharing your contact information right here and it doesn't, you don't need to be in the same market. In various markets, man, it helps you. So I go to this conference, I meet four or five agents. We're all like little losers sitting together in the lobby like, is that an asset manager? No, no, that's an asset manager over there, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it was like, I mean, asset managers would be walking like this because they're like, oh God, there's realtors, you know? Because they're there to get education as well too so that they could learn to be better at, at doing what they need to do to try to stop the losses from happening. So we go to the event, we become buddies. One of my friends says, hey, I can get us the Wells Fargo account, right? And it was like, like, like we're drug, like drugs. <gasps> how, how do you get the Wells Fargo account? He's like, I have a link. It's a link. My buddy got it. My buddy gave me the link. It worked. And I was like, well, dude, give me the freaking link. Like, what the hell? Like, let's go. I want this link. And we shared the link and we all went and we all filled it out. And then, you know, you get this email. It's like, congratulations. You are now part of the Wells Fargo preferred agent system, the PAS network or whatever it was called back in the day. Man, and I waited. I'm like, okay, any day it's going to come. Any day, okay, I'd log in again. Okay, nothing's changed. I don't know, maybe they give me a property and it just, it doesn't notify my email. Maybe I got to log in, right? And it's like, just this like hope that I had for something better, right? And at the same time, my wife's like, hey, fool, <laughs> like it's a couple months now and nothing's happened yet. How about you just go uh, try to sell someone else's house instead of this REO thing that you're chasing? But I needed that dream. Like it was something that just gave me life. And uh, it was about two weeks after I got that Wells Fargo link, I said, okay, I'm doing something wrong. I got the link, I'm missing something. So I went on the MLS and I did a search, right? For active properties that are REO. And I got a list of them and I went to each one of them. And here's a trick for you guys. In the days to come, in the years to come, REO is coming back. And I hope one of you, becomes a big time REO agent, you reach out to me and tell me it was because of this, because that's going to make my day. But I went in the private remarks of the agent. And agents usually say something like this, Wells Fargo property must qualify with Wells Fargo loan officer, blah, 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 1-800, blah, 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 right? Or Bank of America, must qualify Bank of America, must qualify First Horizon home loans. Well, I learned real quick, if they put Wells Fargo on the bottom, Wells Fargo owns that house. And I started searching and I said, oh, Wells Fargo, well, who's the loan officer? Danny Fitzpatrick was the guy's name. It's amazing in your life how certain things you'll never forget. Danny Fitzpatrick. And I go to the next one. Danny Fitzpatrick. Danny Fitzpatrick. Danny Fitzpatrick. 50 different properties. It was the same LO. I said, oh, shit. Excuse me. I said, he must be the REO loan officer. Right? Like, my brain's like, he must be the only guy that does that. So I pick up the phone. And I say, hi, can I speak to Danny Fitzpatrick? They transferred me over to him. I said, hey, I'm Jesse Rodriguez. I'm a real estate agent out of Southern California. I don't have any REOs yet, but I want you to know I'm going to have a lot of them and you're going to be my loan officer, right? And he starts laughing at me. <laughs> and he's like, how old are you? And I was like, I'm 25 or 26 or whatever I was at that time. And he's like, why'd you call me? And I said, well, all the biggest REO people, and you'll, you'll learn, this is a club. The biggest REO agents are the same ones. And they are decade over decade, right? And we've got this group of like, I think of them as like baseball Hall of Fame trading cards, right? Like back from where I'm from, it's the Art Acostas and the Michael Novak Smiths and the Pete Neary's. Like these are literally like 60-year-old dudes that have been selling foreclosures for 40 years. And I'm like, well, these guys all have you as the LO. And I just want you to know that I'm the next generation. So I want to make that relationship now. And he's like, well, how are you going to get the account? I'm like, I already got the link. I just don't have any properties. He's like, all right, give me all your info. I give them all my info. The next day, 10 properties. Goosebumps. Swear to God. 10 properties. You have to learn there's a trick to everything, right? I would have had that link waiting my whole life, right? Because there's one thing I learned is sometimes people give you a link so that you leave them alone. And they're like dead links and they go nowhere. And they want to see who's going to work harder. Like earlier in the lunch and learn when I talked about you got to get through the gatekeeper at that attorney's office, right? They tell you no, no, no. But if you never quit, there's always a yes at some point. And literally 10, it was new assignment, new assignment, new assignment, new assignment, new assignment, new assignment. 
10 in a row. I called him, I said, dude, I just got 10 listings. He's like, yeah, I know. This guy had the power. My assumption was right. Why would one person be the name, the contact on everything? He just called the back end and said, hey, activate this guy and give him some properties. And it was in the time when there was a lot of property, right? Like if I called and did that today, there's not 10 to get. There's no foreclosures. This was in the heart of the foreclosure market. But that was all I needed for hope. That was all I needed. So that was my first pivot. I went from a mortgage person to a foreclosure agent within about six months of a market crash. When all my colleagues around me started left the mortgage industry and had to go find jobs doing some, somewhere, something else, real estate agents had to find something else. One thing I can tell you in all down markets, they don't last very long. If we look at COVID, right, March 14th, March 17th, when COVID hit and we, the world just froze, we were all like, oh my God. Within two months, we entered the best market we've ever seen. So you needed to survive two months if you didn't have enough business. And some of you might be like, well, Jesse keeps saying this greatest market. I'm, man, I don't have enough deals. What's he talking about? Don't worry, it's coming. It's coming for you. Don't worry. Don't give up, right? Keep hitting it hard. So I get in there, I get those REOs. Now I've got my second biggest battle of my life. I don't know what the hell to do. I got 10 properties with an instruction sheet that's nine pages long. Go knock on the door, determine if someone lives there. If they don't live there, post this notice. If they do live there, rekey it, change the locks, clean it out. And I'm like, clean it out? What the hell are they? <laughs> so these properties literally sat for like 45 days of me like showing up, knocking on the door. No one answers. And I'm like, must be occupied. Okay, I'm going back, right? And I'd go back to my system and I'd tell the bank, it's occupied, somebody's there, right? And they're like, well, give them money to move out. Well, they're not answering. They're like, are you sure someone's there? I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't want to break in. Like, of course you need to break in. Go find out if someone's there, right? And you learn these things and it's like all 10 of them were vacant. <laughs> and I did not know for about 40 days. And I would visit them like every day. It was like playing with a new toy. Like I just drive by and be like, there's my listing. All right, I'm gonna keep going, you know? Like, so eventually I went in there and I rekeyed them and I cleaned them out and I learned all this new stuff, and made all these new connections on, on what I had to do. That silly website that I paid $1,000 for, reonetwork.com, all of a sudden, I get an email from GMAC Bank. Hey, Jesse, I have a listing in your area. Do you cover Big Bear? Right? And I'm like, fucking Big Bear, yes. Right? Like, Big Bear's like three hours from me. Like, it is so far. I mean, it, right? It's like you guys saying you cover, like, Florida or something, right? Like, I was like, I love Big Bear. Are you kidding me, man? I kill Big Bear. Like, just lying. I'm not saying you guys should lie. So, right? So then I'm like, Tina, get in the car. We got to drive to Big Bear. Dude, it's three hours up a mountain. I show up. At this point, I'm like, shit, I know this is vacant. Okay, I'm like, I'm good at this point. There's stickers all over the window saying that someone's been there. I'm like, oh, this one's vacant. I get it. Well, I get on the phone with Kelly King. That's who assigned that property to me. And, you know, I'm like, thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, I went there. I did this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know. I give her the whole spiel of everything. And within about a month or so, Kelly gave me about five or six more properties. And it was like every corner of Southern California. I drove two hours and like, it was like she didn't want to give me anything next to me. It was like as far as she could take me in every area. And that was the start of my REO business. I mean, within about, by the end of that year, I did my first 30 transactions um, within about a six month time frame while learning a new industry, while just being pumped up and motivated and just being a whole new person. So the next year, I ended up doing 100 transactions. The next year, 300 transactions. The next year, 500 transactions. The one thing about why I preach the riches are in the niches is if you get a good niche, you can get a lot of volume. And I love volume. I've always been an agent, I can say that now, I've always been an agent that prefers 100 deals at a smaller sales price than 10 at $3 million sales price. I, there's something about I like doing a lot of activity. I like working hard. I like getting my hands dirty. I like being in the mix. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? Then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Carrie Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money, and stress throughout the process, and they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to carryshoal.com to learn more. Again, that's carryshoal.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's carryshoal.com. So by 2000, whatever, you know, three years later, the market starts to slow down. The market's starting to rebound. I think it's 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. We're starting to see that the market's going up and values are starting to increase. 
the REO market was still really booming. This was in the height of my, like, my 500 asset year. I started panicking. One day, you know, I didn't get a new assignment for like five days or something. And this is like what it's like when you're an REO agent. There's this adrenaline rush that you get. You wake up and you look at your phone. You're like, three new listings. Ha <laughs> ha. Right? You get out of bed with just a different kind of kick in your step. That's, I would wake up and it'd be like, new listing the next day. New listing the next day. New li- I mean, it was the most amazing feeling in the world. Well, after about two, three weeks, I'm going, man, I only got three listings in three weeks. What's going on? Something's happening already. Like, I'm on hyper alert. Once you lose everything in your life, you're on hyper alert forever. I mean, there is no, like, I will never be blindsided again. I'll tell you the one downside of being ready for the next downturn is I can't live in the moment anymore. I can't live and enjoy when I have a TV show because I'm like, well, it's going to be gone in X amount of years. So what's the next thing? Right? That's where my brain is at all times. I am two years ahead of today. I'm not thinking of COVID 2020. I'm like, what's going to happen in 2022? That's where I'm at right, at all times. So the market, I feel, is going to start to adjust. So I start telling myself, okay, what's my next thing? What am I going to do to try to survive this next move? Because one thing about real estate, man, it just, it's always constantly moving. It's flowing. Think of it like water, right? It's always changing. We might have a rapid current, might have a slow current all of a sudden. So I start picking up the phone. I start calling different friends in the industry, you know, the Delgados of the world, other colleagues, people like yourself. Hey, what are you seeing in D.C.? What's happening out there? Because I want to get the temperature of what's going on in the real estate industry. One of my friends says, hey, have you guys gotten the hedge fund buying in your neighborhood yet? I said, the hedge fund? What hedge fund? They're like, I don't know, there's a bunch of them out there now that are starting to buy single family houses. I said, dude, give me those names, right? They rattles off America Home for Rent, Invitation Homes, uh, Waypoint. Um, These are a handful of ones that were in Southern California. So I start searching them, finding the website, getting the phone number, and I'm like, Hey, I heard you guys are buying real estate in Southern California. Can you tell me more and how can I get on your list? That's one thing you're going to notice about me is I pick up the phone. When I need to get something done, I pick up the phone. If you guys have call reluctance and you're thinking, I know we're in a texting world, but sometimes you got to pick up the phone and you got to just ask the question, will you give me business? You know, and a lot of times your competitor is not doing that. So you're going to have a really good shot at getting it, which is exciting. So I get on the phone with Invitation Homes. They're based out in Arizona. Um, and they're like, yeah, what's your market? I'm like, Southern California, the greater LA market. They're like, yeah, we're starting to buy there. Here, we'll set up a meeting with you in um, a local office out in Riverside. I said, okay. So a couple weeks later, I jumped down there and, you know, hey, hi, I'm Jesse. I have a meeting here with Peter, you know, and, you know, Peter's like, <laughs> fucking hairs, like, you know, like they're stressed out. These dudes are buying 30 houses a day. Like it's something I've never seen before. It was, it was like out of the Wall Street movie. I mean, they're, they're like on, folding tables. And I'm like, this is a billion dollar hedge fund. Am I at the right place here? You know? And they're like, Hey man, what do you want? And I'm like, Oh, I have a meeting. Like I'm a real estate. I'm a real estate agent. I'm here to help you buy houses. Yeah. You know, like one of those. And they're like, how many can you get us a day? I'm like, fucking one. I don't know. Like, you know, like I I literally, like, I was like, you know, sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss. Uh, but, um, I'm really trying not to, too. I'm doing really well. Um, and, um, and, you know, and like literally, dude, it's like, you say how many? And I was like, oh, I was like, yes, this is the new REO, dude. It was like oh, adrenaline rush for me. And I'm like, give me this. Like, what am I buying? What are we looking for? You know, all of a sudden, my hair is like flying up, you know, it's like static electricity, too. And I run back to my office. And I've got a team, you know, five, six assistants at this point. And I'm like, team meeting. We're not selling REOs anymore. They're like, oh, we have like 500 in the pipeline. They're like, what the hell you mean we're not selling these? I'm like, oh, no, no, we're going to sell. The- you three sell REO. You three are going to become an acquisitions team. We're going to start buying houses. We've never bought houses at this point. I never represented a buyer at all during my REO days. I didn't want to represent a buyer. I was too busy working with the banks. That was my job. I'm like, we need to learn how to buy houses. Here's their formula. I don't know what it means. Figure it out. And let's go buy some houses, right? That, that was when I realized I was like, I'm definitely not as smart as hedge fund people. Our cap rate and the, you know, the blah, 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 internal rate of return. I'm like, I don't know. Just tell me a sales price, man. I'll go look for it. Like, and uh, so we figured that out. After a few weeks, we started just putting offers out, right? Like cover letter. We represent the largest hedge fund in the world. They're looking to buy houses, blah, 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 blah. I got on my network. called every. I would have called every single one of you and said, what do you have in your inventory? Right? And I'll be like, hey, I'll split the double end with you. I'll split the buyer side. I'm aggressive. I'm not greedy at all. I will take $500 if I can sell 500. Like that, like that is how I am. So like if you were going to have your double, like you're like, I got a buyer. I'm like, my buyer will pay more and I'll split it with you. You know, 
And he's like, for real? And I'm like, shit, I'll give you three quarters of it. But I want your next three too, right? Because to me, it was a race. I knew that wasn't going to last, right? The hedge fund's not going to buy forever. At some point, prices get too high and they have to stop, right? So I'm like, I'm going to attack. Like, this is going to last for one year. I want you guys to think about that. Write that down. We are in that moment right now. This COVID, the negatives of COVID have, have turned into this positive in real estate where interest rates are an all-time low to kind of help our economy, right? Prices are raising 20% in the last four months. There is an opportunity to sell people's houses and get them the most money. Are you killing the door right now? Because this opportunity might be gone second week of November after the election. I don't know. If it, I don't think it is. But let's just like, you know what I mean? Are you fighting and playing this game like it is your last day? Because I do every single day. That is the one consistent thing. I do every single day. So I'm out there hustling, right? And I'm like, I'm buying houses. I'm buying houses. I'm buying 40 to 50 houses a month for this client. Half the time for flat fees. Like, I'll take 2,500 bucks. You guys keep the rest of the commission. Like, well, I, I don't care. Like, it was just how many can I do? Because I'm all about trying to create the relationship. That lasted for almost two years. I sold for them or bought for them while I was selling for the banks. I had the most epic, epic, like, overlapping year. I mean, it was insane. You know, not, not to throw out numbers and stuff, but it's like when I thought I was a big baller mortgage guy and I was making, like, 100 grand a year, then to lose everything, literally be depressed, be the biggest loser husband, and then now I'm making $2 million a year with a different kind of mindset, like save everything. We're not spending. I mean, we rented for like a few years ago, and I was like, I was scared. Like I was scared to get back into the game. After you like lose your house and you see your wife like crying every night, having to get on some psychotropic medications to make yourself feel better, you know, Fexer's our friend, dude. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it, it, it was tough. So it took a little while to get back that, that, that like, look, let's get back in the game. And I had to get back in the game because exactly what I thought was going to happen, happened. The hedge fund says, hey, Jess, we're having to raise our cap rate. We're not looking to buy as many homes. We now own 40,000 single family residences in America. We need to pop the brakes a little bit. I'm like, 40,000? I'm like, dude, I sold you like 200. <laughs> like, fuck, did I miss the boat on that? You bought 40,000? <laughs> like, I was like over here like, you know, like a peacock. Like, Look how good I am. And then I realized some dude in Atlanta was selling him 500 a month. And I was selling 30 a month. And I was like, nah. But guess what? I know for next time, when they buy again, I'm going to be in Jacksonville. I'm going to be in Atlanta. I'm going to be in Seattle. I'm going to be in Dallas. I'm going to be in Colorado. I'm going to be in Vegas. I'm going to be in Arizona. I'm going to be in California. That's where they buy. Like, you don't think I did my research and I know? I'm only sleepy once. And I was working hard. <laughs> so, all right, in the middle of all that, I realize, okay, they don't want to buy as much. What do I do? I have a staff. I have all of you right here. You're my team, right? I'm obligated to you. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to figure it out. It's my job as the leaders to figure out what the next move is for our company. So in the middle of helping them buy houses, I bought a couple. Like one of my teammates would say, hey, we have this property, Jesse. It's a great rental for, for the hedge fund. And I'd say, wait, that's 300 grand? That's a $700,000 neighborhood. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's real distressed and this and that. It came to us from a lead of yours. I said, well, dude, I'm going to buy that one. And that's how I started flipping, was by luck. Like, don't let anyone tell you, it's like, oh, I had this plan. I had a vision that I'm going to become a big, no, it was literally like, you get the crazy fattest deal of your life. And if you say, let me call my investor so that you can make 3%, you're out of your mind, right? And you have all seen those deals. They have come across your desk. You maybe you weren't in a mentally ready position, financially ready position, right? Well, I wasn't financially ready either. Sometimes you got to just say yes. The deal is that good. So I said, okay, I'm going to buy that house. I didn't have a ton of money at the moment. My timelines are maybe a little bit off on the first one, but I ended up getting a hard money loan, zero down. The deal was so good. I remember calling Anchor Loans and the guy's like, dude, you could tear this thing down, rebuild it and still make money. He's like, we'll, we'll finance 100% of the deal. We just want you to do it. That's a pretty easy way to say, okay, I'm going to do it. So T and I get in there. We spent 30 or $40,000 and we did the worst. I wish I could find pictures of this house. It was horrific. I need that to be like my backdrop because we thought like, we're like, paint it yellow. She's like, yeah, we're like, this is home run. This is awesome. I mean, we just did everything bad on this house, sold it, made like 50 or 60 grand on it. And that was that next shot of dopamine that I needed to go, oh man, I want to flip. Okay. I'll tell you one consistent thing I never did though. Every time I added a new business, I never stopped one of the other ones though. A lot of people go, this is the new shiny toy. I'm not going to be a real estate agent. I talked to so many agents that say, I'm a really successful agent. Then I started flipping. I'm like, oh, what happened to your real estate business? 
They're like, oh, it went down by like 70%. I said, well, that was the stupidest idea I ever heard of. You exchange one job for another, right? Why don't you be a real estate agent and kill it there and have that pay your bills and have your flipping put nothing but money in your bank account. Have the flipping pay for your rental properties, right? When you exchange one for the other, you're just changing jobs. I enjoy flipping because it's not my job. That's my hobby. Real estate is my job. I will never not sell houses. I will never not work with hedge funds and banks and all those kinds of things and regular sellers now. I've pivoted eventually at that point too. So we do that first, that first, first deal. We, I do three that year, right? So this is somewhere in the middle of like, I'm still selling 100 REOs and I'm buying 100 for someone else. And I was like, oh, we'll dabble with a couple flips. Made money on the first one, lost 40,000 on the second one. I peacocked and I thought I was the bomb. Went and bought the next one. Oh, I'm going to make the equity in this one. I know it's a little tight, but don't worry, honey, we could do it. Lost 40,000. Almost countered what we made on the first one, right? Came back, licked my chops a little bit and said, I'm going to figure this out. There's something here. So then I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to start selling flips to investors. Since I have this machine where we're finding properties, hey, find properties. If Invitation Homes doesn't want it or American Home for Rent doesn't want it, sell it to Eric Delgado. He's a big time flipper in the neighborhood. Maybe he'll do it. We're going to make a commission somewhere. And that's when we started realizing we have the machine to find deals. So let's now find them and let's go earn money somehow. So it goes to them, it goes to him, or it goes to me. You bring it to me first, I'll tell you where it goes, right? Because I don't want you sending it to them and it should go to me. <laughs> so that became our new model. That was my third pivot. We started entering into the flipping game. As REO was almost completely, I would have like 10 assignments left, right? And instead of selling them 30 a month, I was selling five a month. And now I was like, the machine's going, let's buy flips. I don't have to do as many flips because the profit's bigger. And then we got into, I started selling about five to six flips a month to investors. I would represent them as the buyer. I would then relist it for them. So for every flip, I got two sides of a transaction. I was like, this is awesome. I negotiated full pop commissions. I'm not going to do this for a reduced fee. I don't have the volume, right? If you're buying 50 from me a month, I'll do it for less. But if I'm only getting five from you, you got to pay me what I'm worth, right? Because I'm going to make sure we get you good deals. And we started doing that and started doing that. After about a year of me doing that with him, and even though I was already, I did a couple flips on my own, I still was nervous. That's the other thing I want you guys to hear. Like, I'm still scared. Like, I'm doing hundreds and hundreds of transactions, and I'm still scared. Like, just like a lot of you are scared when it comes down to it. So I do these free, uh, about a, I don't know, a year's worth of deals with him. And I'm calculating, and I'm like, man, Richard made a million bucks this year flipping houses. Yeah, we did pretty good. We made, you know, 250000 in commission or something. I'm like, I need to become the flipper. I, I got to get off my butt here, and I got to figure out how to do this and get over my fear. So I went to Richard. And I say, hey, Richard, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but here's a hypothetical. In 2021, I just want to give you a heads up now. We're we're in October, but in 2021, I will no longer be able to sell you any more flips. And he's like, Jess, why? What'd I do? Right? You know, I'm I'm very important to this person. And I said, oh, I'm going to start flipping them myself. You know, I love you. Like, I thank you for everything. And at this point, he taught me. I got to see him do 50 flips. Right? I got to meet the contractors. I knew what was going on. And he's like, okay, okay. How about we partner on them? He's like, I don't want to lose your business. What if I put up 100% of the money and we go 50-50? I said, fucking deal. (laughs) Let's do it. My fear of me putting up money went out the window. Now I was like, let's go. I got someone with $20 million that wants to buy houses and I get a piece of it. Like, let's do this. And I was fired up again. And I partnered with Richard for a good solid two or three years. In the middle of doing that, I had a childhood friend, or I'd say a college friend, uh, by the name of Tarek El Musa. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him or not. So he has a show on HETV called Vintage Flip. I'm sorry, that's my show. On uh, Flip or Flop. <laughs> uh, flip or Flop on HETV. So this is pivot number four now. As I'm starting to flip, my buddy Tarek, he and I own rental property together. We own a fourplex and a triplex and a couple SFRs. We're really good buddies. Like Our families would travel and vacation together, and they just got their show on HETV, and I was super excited, You know, so proud of him and Christina and happy for them. During season two of filming, he's like, hey, Jesse, do you want to guest star on an episode with us? And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, well, do you have any flips you want to partner on? I'm like, yeah, I got this cool 1920s um, craftsman. It'd be probably a pretty fun episode because it's historic. And and my passion, I love historic houses. Tina and I live in a 1908 craftsman um, that we've gutted. And we've previous to that, when we lost our first house, it was a 1920s Spanish. So we've always loved historic houses. 
So we do this episode on Flipper Flop, where Tark and I are partners on it. And he's the typical flipper that wants to kind of do everything in you know, cheap laminate wood floors. And it's all about cost savings. And I came in with like the restoration side of it saying, hey, let's restore these wood floors, man. Let's not throw laminate on top of them. Let's restore the built-ins in, in the hallway. Let's redo the wood windows, not put vinyl windows. And our episode, we bicker a little bit about that. And then in the end, we do it, we make money. Well, HETV um, liked the episode. And HETV approached me and Tina and said, hey, would you like to try to get a spinoff? A lot of people don't know that our show is actually was a spinoff of Flipper Flop. And we were like, yeah, sure, let's try it. So we went in, we did a pilot episode, which was one episode, um, and ended up doing okay. They picked us up for an eight-episode first season, and then they picked us up for a 13-episode second season. So we only got picked up for two seasons. So we did 23 episodes total. Um, it was a little bit over three and a half years of, that it took to kind of complete all those seasons. The timeline for filming is actually way behind what you see. Um, and I got to say, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. By far the hardest thing I've ever done. To, to rehab a house is difficult on its own. Has anybody ever remodeled a home? Right? It, it is stressful. Imagine trying to put a camera to catch all those stressful moments in the time that they happen. Very, very difficult. And then try to do 13 at one time. Right? And each one takes three months or four months. And Tina was pregnant while filming. So it was a heck of an experience. Um, while we were doing this, we were still running our business. We were still helping the hedge fund buy a little bit. We were still flipping our own houses. And at this point, right, we're in about middle of the second season, the hedge fund's completely done. Um, or no, maybe even a year before that, actually. Before the start of the first season, the hedge fund was already done. They weren't buying at all. Foreclosure's already done. I'm a one-legged machine now. I only have flips, right? I, to, to say, was I panicking three years ago when I only had flips? I was panicking. That is not enough. I want to have more things in the pipe, right? Because what if flipping dries up? What if flipping dries up and I'm done? So I started getting on the phones again. I started thinking, what's that next thing? What's that next thing? Well, I built a nice little team around me. I had five agents, buyer's agents that were helping me during those years. And I said, you know what? I guess I need to become a brokerage. That would give me another stream of income that if my flipping goes down or my personal sales go, go down, that I could have the brokerage. And Cal American Homes was my brokerage the whole time, but it was just me and a few agents. And then I decided to grow it. So now I have three offices and 50 agents um, that we support, that we train, and we do trainings like this to try to help them grow their business and sell more. And that's been that extra vehicle that I have so that I can always have that extra piece of business. Then the other thing started to happen is flipping is now starting to slow down a little bit, right? Like what's the common theme here? Everything gets really busy and then it starts to slow down. And that's going to happen for your whole career. It's going to happen, right? So you always have to be aware of that next thing. So as flipping started to slow down, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? What's my next thing? So I went into my database and I started calling some of the banks. Hey, is REO coming back? <laughs> you know, they're like, not yet. We think you're a little early, Jess. I said, all right, well, I'll be here when it's ready. You just let me know. When the timer goes off, let me know. And I'll pull it out of the microwave, you know? Um, and then I called my hedge fund. So I always follow up. I've always been good at following up. And I would send a text once or twice a year to my asset manager there and just saying, hey, how you doing? If you ever need anything, let me know. I did my usual text and he calls me. I'm like, oh, Ken's calling me. Hey, dude, what's up? And he's like, hey, man, I saw your text. Um, you know, I will be needing you at the start of the year. This was two years ago. And I said, okay, well, what's going on? Do I need to get prepared? He's like, we're going to start selling some of our houses. The fund that I helped acquire hundreds of houses that now, today, owns 90,000 single-family rentals in America. 90,000. And back when I stopped, they were only like at 30 or 40,000. They continued to buy, and somehow I didn't know. Right? So I fell asleep on that one, too. So I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, and he says, yeah, we're going to start to unload and dispose of some of the, the rentals that, that aren't performing well for us. They're too small or they happened in an acquisition that we took over of another company. I said, okay, no problem, man. Well, when are you going to go? He's like, start of the year in January. I said, perfect. And it was right around now. It was right around October of two years ago. And I said, okay. I literally texted him every day going forward because just in case it was going to start early, I wanted him to know, hey, man, I'm ready if you need anything. Hey, man, I'm ready if you need anything. And it ended up did. It started about a month early. Uh, or two months early, in November, they started unloading on me. And I was getting 25, 30 assignments a month from the hedge fund. So a couple years ago, I started selling again, 130, 150 houses a year just for that one client. So when I get up and I start to talk about the riches are in the niches, I think you now see what I mean by it, right? It's not easy by any means. But I'll say what, what you guys do, going out and 
calling your sphere of influence, door knocking, prospecting. That's not easy either, right? It takes just amount, the same amount of hard work to get a standard sale as to get a niche sale. So why not add it to your business? Why not make it five more minutes of phone calls in a day? Two more emails a week. It's not that hard, right? Especially with automation now. Shit, you could put a text messaging campaign that goes out constantly to these attorneys. Most of my agents sell bankruptcies. They sell divorce for divorce attorneys, um, trust, probate. They've all learned that there is just, to have a client, right? We wish our clients would sell houses every year, right? But it happens usually when they sell, they don't sell again for four to five or six years. So to have someone who's working with a lot more clients than us and says, here, call my person, call my person, call my person, would really turn up your business. What would 10 more sales a year do for your business at your price point, at two and a half, three percent commission, right? It's life-changing. That's really what it is. I mean, so now I find myself 12 years down the road from losing everything, three kids, still married, with Tina for 20 years. I'm not the loser that I thought I was when it all, when it all fell apart. I've learned a lot to be smart, to be humble, to work hard. Like that, that is the key. If anybody comes up here and says, let me show you how to be rich in, in one week, they're a liar, liar. If you're not stressed once a week, you're doing something wrong, right? This is hard work. This is one of the hardest industries. One of the biggest insults that I see whenever I meet an agent that wants to come to my office, they're like, I'm like, oh, so why do you want to be a real estate agent? Well, I failed at that other thing, so I thought I'd just be an agent. That's the fastest way to get thrown out of my office is insult what we do. Because I think we are the best of the best out there. The ones that are good, right, and excel at a high level, you could put us in any industry and we would kill it. We would kill it. You take this job serious and it'll give you more money, more money than anything else. I have my closest friends that are attorneys, that are doctors, right? I make as much, if not more, than they do, right? And we don't have to have a college education to do it. I think we're very blessed and we're very lucky. I feel very blessed and very lucky to be here to share with you guys and tell you a little bit about my story. Hopefully some part of that will resonate with you, will pump you up, will motivate you. You all have a smile on your face, so I'll assume everyone's killing it. But if that smile is hiding something else, know I was there with you at one point and you're gonna kill it and I believe in you. So throw me a message on on Instagram if you have any questions. I responded to a bunch on the break uh, from the lunch session of people that were on Zoom. So anybody out there, um, I have seven minutes left. So if anybody has a question for me, I have no problem going a little bit longer and, uh, and answering on a Q&A session. So that's me. Any questions? <laughs> Thank you. Harrison from Colorado Springs. What's what do you up? think the next uh, pivot's going to be based on the conversations you've been having with those colleagues you've mentioned throughout your speech? Well, I will tell you that my hedge fund is buying right now. I got, I got, the, call, I got the call a few weeks ago. You know, they're not buying in Southern California. They're actually buying in Colorado. So uh, I'm actually going to get my license in for Colorado so that I can go buy for them because it's a business. I don't need to be in Colorado to sell someone 50 houses a month if I know the numbers. But I do need a boot on the ground that I can split some money with. <laughs> no, no, I don't need to see it, baby. You're going to walk around. I'll do the research and we'll, we'll get rich together. Yeah. Hey, hey, sir, we're the Lana Rodriguez group in Colorado. So <laughs> it's like your cousin. What oh, are you dude, talking I'm, about? Oh, it's my family. cousin Lana's over there. Yes, yes. No, so, uh, so yeah, so the hedge fund is actively buying right now in Atlanta, in Jacksonville, in Seattle, in Dallas, in, right? And, and it's very difficult to get in with them now because you got to think I, I have a seven-year relationship with them. And instead of them going into Colorado and saying, let me open it up to a new agent, they'd rather come to their existing agent and say, just get a license there because there's so much on the financial background. So one thing I didn't mention is I'm now getting my MBA. I'm in my second year at University of Southern California because my clients being that they're typically banks or hedge funds or investors, right? That's a very savvy group. And I've been able to hold my own for a long time, but I thought, you know what? I really want to have that resume builder so that I can go to Blackstone, the largest hedge fund in the world, maybe someday and say, hey, I have an idea of something else. Let's raise 50 million and let's go buy something else, right? And create a new asset class. But that's one new business model right here. I'd say the second one that's coming back, because it's all a cycle, foreclosures are going to come back. And, she, and I didn't even touch on short sales. Short sales are like, I tell you my story about REO, which is hard to get into. Short sales are a standard client who no longer has equity, and they still want to sell. And if you were a short sell agent in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and a good one, you easily were selling 100 houses a year. 
You know, it's a hard process to get them approved. Everything's a hard process. Let me tell you that, right? Like if you're like, oh, that's hard and that's what stops you, we have to have a different kind of conversation. Everything is hard, right? You have to find that fire. If you can't, if you're not good at that task, I'm not good at paperwork, so I'll have someone else, right? I'm not in Colorado, so I'm gonna have, they'll be my partners in Colorado. Something like that, right? I mean, that's how you do that. So, but uh, those two things, REOs and the hedge fund are still around. And then the one thing that never goes away, like never goes away, and I've touched on this at lunch too, the attorneys, right? People are getting bankrupt in good markets and bad markets. Divorces are happening in good markets and bad markets. Like it's just part of life, unfortunately. And if you get in there and you get on the phone, you get a couple, couple good divorce attorneys, like I'm talking like three that shoot you deals, that's 30 or 40 deals a year at non-discounted commissions, at whatever sales price you're, I mean, it adds up to a lot of money fast. It really does. Um, there's a, an, an agent by the name of Laurel Starks. You guys might want to write this down. She offers a class on how to get certified to be a divorce sales specialist. Laurel Starks, L-A-U-R-E-L-S-T-A-R-K-S. She's in Southern California. And I know she travels. I don't know if it's an online thing or not, but she can kind of give you more information, right? Like I did a lot of research and I was trying to learn REO. You got to spend some money, right? To get the knowledge. You guys being in this room, you're not scared of it because you're here. I get it. You guys that are on Zoom, right? You're watching us live. You understand the concept that you have to invest in your business. This does not come free. There's nothing free in life, right? It's blood, sweat, or equity. That's all it is every single time. So you got to invest a little bit more. What's the next question? Well, a couple of things, a statement and, and then a question. Guys, just as a quick update, Jesse, I didn't know that part of the story back in 08, 09 when we first met. Yeah. And it just, it get. It I gave, couldn't cry. I couldn't it, cry when I met you. I mean, that would be awkward. It gave me, it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> but a big moral to that story is for those of you guys who, who lack confidence or need confidence, you're in the right place. We can give you and you gain a lot of confidence by being around a lot of people. Don't let, don't discount how important confidence is as you start doing new things into your business. Jesse, I thought he was, his presentation to me made me think, man, this guy has got it. Little did I know. I never sold a house. Right. Like, you know, like. And so the question from Jose is, what, what took you to the MLS to find that loan officer's number? Was it just a gut instinct? Yeah, that's actually a great question, Jose. I was, I was burying myself in like research, right? And, and I was just going, you ever go through the rap, you watch YouTube and you get stuck on this rabbit hole of YouTube videos and it just starts, before you know it, I'm listening to like 1980s like rock videos. Like, I don't know what, what, what happened, right? Like same kind of concept. So I started searching for one thing and it led me to something else. And then I, and then it just thought crossed my mind. I'm like, who are the players right now? Who are the big time agents that are selling REOs? And that's why I went to the MLS. It wasn't to see about the, the loan officer on the bottom. That was the byproduct kind of luck that happened. I was like, who are my competitors? Do I know one of them? Can I maybe bleed some knowledge from them if I happen to? And that's when I learned all these names. And I would, and I, I literally built a chart and I'm like, this person, this person, this person, these four people have 200 listings. And then there was a whole bunch of onesie twosies. And I was like, well, I want to, who are they? Right. Then I went to their personal websites. I'm reading their bios. And then as I was looking at all their listings, I noticed that the ones that they had with Wells Fargo had that person. And then I just deduced this must be somebody. And it could have been nobody, right? But it took one phone call. So even if he was a nobody, I was still going to become a big REO agent someday. I didn't need those 10 listings. I don't use that as the only reason. I mean, within a week later, I ended up getting that listing from GMAC, right? So I was going to do whatever. If anything, I probably slowed down my research at that point. Once you, like anything, you start to get business and then you don't do what you did to get business. That is one of the things that we need to learn, right? And that's where having an amazing schedule and making sure prospecting is always on your schedule. Because the most common thing is you get busy someday and then you stop prospecting. Then you call me and tell me in three months, I'm not busy anymore. I'm like, well, duh, you saw prospecting. Like, so like, those are the things that we have to do and repeat. So, One more question, Jesse. Um, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would you say? Do everything the same. <laughs> I, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's lose it all. Lose it sooner. Like, feel the pain. You know, I, I learned a long time ago that you're either motivated by like the pleasure of success are motivated by not wanting to have the fear of the pain, right? Or the, or the actual pain. I am motivated by never wanting to see my wife cry again like that. 
I am motivated now saying I'm never gonna have the embarrassment of my car getting repossessed. Uh, I'm motivated by knowing that I have three little boys and if I would have had them back then and I, we would have had to move out and move in with my in-laws, like what that would have done to me, right? To my psychosis and stuff. So like now I am motivated by those things and if like it took losing everything to learn that. So I'm like, I wanna learn that at 20, I wanna learn that at 18. You know, shoot, I wish I would have seen my parents lose everything when I was 15. So I could have felt it sooner because I can only imagine what my success would have been at that point because that really has been the, the, the pivotal factor of driving who I am today and my work ethic and, and why like, I don't take no for an answer. So that's a good question. So, all right, everybody, I think I'm done. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.